Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Leaderboard Golf, which was chosen as this episode's game by some of my Patreon supporters. Supporters like Dave Velociraptor, Lanny Cox, and David Cavallari. If you'd like to help pick the next episode or just want to support my podcasts, head over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and sign up today. Leaderboard was published for the Commodore 64 in 1986 by Access. It is a game for one to four players that uses joystick controls. I'm always a stickler about games and their exact titles. This game is actually titled Leaderboard. On the front cover, it is not Leaderboard Golf. It is just Leaderboard. But Throughout this episode, you will hear me say leaderboard golf many times, so just get prepared for that. Uh, as mentioned, this game was published by Access. I just covered Beachhead 2 on episode 83, which was another Access game. So if you'd like to go back and hear a little bit more about the company's history, you can do that. This game was designed by the brothers Bruce and Roger Carver, who went on to make many other golf games that we'll be talking about later in this episode. Leaderboard Golf is a golf game for the Commodore 64. It's more than a golf game. In fact, it is a golf simulator and perhaps the premier golf simulator for the Commodore 64. I don't think there were any other big golf-related activities going on at the time that uh, prefaced this game or, or brought golf to the Commodore 64 other than the fact that the brothers Bruce and Roger were both golfers, <laughs> and enjoyed playing golfing games. Uh, on the front of the game box, we have uh, the title Leaderboard in bright yellow, and then it says Pro Golf Simulator. So that lets you know up front, this is not going to be an arcade style game, that this is going to be a much more realistic, uh, realistic style game of golf. Um, we can see a golfer who has just hit a golf ball. The, the artwork is very interesting. It looks to me like it was an actual photograph that was then traced over. It's very realistic looking, but it is a processed piece of art. Piece of art. It's not a uh, photograph. One of the most important things that you'll see on the cover, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is a note that says, this game features a security key. Uh, you can perform unlimited backups. There's a fast load option and works on all disk drives. We're going to talk about all those things here in just a moment. Now, on the rear of the box, we get a little bit more information. Again, we have the title, Leader Space Board, two words. Uh, later in the game, we'll see Leaderboard together as one word. We will also see this game referred as throughout the years as Leaderboard golf. So all those things are referring to the same game. Also, it does say leader space board trademark TM. So they have trademarked the name leaderboard in regards to golf games. Again, it says pro golf simulator by Bruce and Roger Carver. And then we get a little bit of text that reads access welcomes you to the exciting world of professional golf with leaderboard. Leaderboard is in all bold there. 
With amazing realistic 3D animation, golfers will face multiple 18-hole golf courses that are that demand strategy, total concentration, and control to come in under par. Leaderboard is the most realistic golf game available because it is actually a simulator that gives you a true perspective view of your golf game. There are three levels of play so you can compete from amateur to touring professional. You'll get all the fun, aggravation, and simulation of true golf competition. One to four players, choice of club, Distance, type of shot, hook, slice, putting, and more. Realistic sound, practice driving range, joystick controlled, multiple 18-hole golf courses, and automatic scoring. <laughs> I love uh, reading things that uh, when that's a feature. When things like, hey, we'll keep track of the score. <laughs> that's a feature of this game. It was reminds me of the days of DVDs where they would say, bonus feature, menu. <laughs> That's something we've kind of come to expect from our movies. And we expect our sports games to keep track of our score. At the bottom of the box, we have four different pictures of the gameplay. One looks like it's showing uh, leaderboard and scores uh, from a round of golf. And then we have three different pictures of different portions of the game, which all look very similar. They all have a golfer that's about to uh, hit a golf ball. And then, of course, at the bottom, we have Access Software Corporate. We have... Uh, uh, their logo, and we have little information, uh, copyright information, all that stuff. So uh, pretty straightforward on the box here. Not a lot of fancy artwork, not a lot of flowery or purple prose. We just kind of have the facts. Uh, we, You know right off the bat this is going to be a uh, golf simulator. So no horsing around <laughs> on this one. This is serious golf business. Now, um, the manual contains quite a bit of useful information. This is all stuff that you would not have got if you were a dirty, dirty pirate like I was in the 1980s and had downloaded your own copy of Leaderboard Golf. The first thing that it includes that's super helpful are overhead maps and distance information for every hole contained in the game. So, uh, you know, sometimes you can't see where the flag is, and maybe the flag veers off to the right, or maybe it's off to the left, or maybe there's a sand trap just over the spot where you can see. That is all useful information to have that you might not get by looking at the screen. But if you actually look at the overhead map of each hole, you would be able to uh, ascertain that information. Uh, we get uh, instructions on how to swing and hit the ball. It's pretty intuitive, um, but I think it's intuitive because many, many, many golf games down the line have used the same system that was first introduced here. So, um, you know, I think it's important information to have in the manual for first-time players, but people that have played other golf games will figure it out pretty quick. Uh, the manual mentions that there are two versions of the game on the disc. Well, that's kind of interesting. The reason there are two versions is because um, the, the the regular version, I would say the first version, which is on the disc, if you were to load asterisk, comma eight, comma one, and load the first one, it is a version of the game that has their own built-in fast loader routine. So the game plays much more quickly, and anything you can do to speed this game up is much appreciated. Uh, however, 
there were a lot of third-party floppy drives on the market at this time. Uh, my friend had an Indus GT. Um, my buddy Jeff had a MSD disk drive, and those were all great disk drives for uh, copying disks and playing, you know, cracked games and stuff. But they weren't always a hundred percent compatible when it came to copy protection. And so there is a second version of the game on the disc and it gives you the file name. And if you load that one, it doesn't have their built in fast loading um, processes, but it's more compatible with different types of disc drives. So if you have a Commodore brand disc drive, you have the old 1541 or 1571, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You just load the first file on the disc and off you go. But if you had a third party disk drive and you were having trouble loading or playing the game, there is a second version with their fast load uh, pr uh, routines, I suppose, uh, taken out. So it's very interesting that they released two copies of that. Now let's get to possibly the most interesting thing uh, to me about this game uh, in the manual, which is the copy protection. And it says right at the on the front page, a security key has been provided. Now, a security key is known uh, as a dongle. We That's the, the term that we would use today as a dongle, something that would uh, plug into a physical spot on your computer. Uh, I used to have a friend who uh, constantly mispronounced that as dognal. <laughs> That drove me crazy. Um, anyway, it says here, a security key has been provided. The disk is not copy protected, and you may make backup copies for your archives. The security key must be plugged into the cassette port in order for leaderboard to load properly. Note, if you have an SX64, you do not need a security key. Now, if you are familiar with the SX64, you know that there is no data set port. Um, so that's kind of interesting uh, that there's something that the hardware is returning um, because I, I don't, I, I honestly don't know. I need Robin Harbin. Robin, if you're out there listening, I may send Robin a message uh, to dig into the code and figure out how the game knows that it's loading on an SX64. Um, but regardless, SX64 would not have had a way to plug in the dongle, so they've they've written some sort of detection um, that that doesn't look for it, which is which is interesting. Now, also, Leaderboard Golf is available in cartridge format, and the cartridge version does not require a dongle. Now, that's kind of interesting. Uh, from a copy protection point of view. Uh, copy protection and from a stance, I suppose. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't have any way to copy a cartridge. Now I have heard, uh, I, um, I don't think I've ever tried this. Maybe I tried this one time, but, uh, if you get a, like a port replicator for your cartridge port and you can put multiple cartridges, um, <clears throat> that there's a way to put a cartridge in one of the slots and then reboot your machine, like switch to another slot, and then you can still access what's in that cartridge or what's in memory. And then you can save that to a disk and play a cartridge. So I, I do think that there there are a simple, relatively simple ways, um, but I didn't know what they were back then. I, I didn't have any way to do that, to copy a cartridge. So um, I basically, 
it looks like they've used the same version uh, on a cartridge, maybe that's on uh, for the SX64. I don't really know. But regardless, if you play the, the version that's on a cartridge, you don't need the dongle, which was bad news for Access Software because what people did was they just took the copy on the cartridge and that's the version that got pirated. So you didn't need the dongle. So uh, that kind of got bypassed. Now, um, <clears throat> there is a workaround. If you have an original copy of Leaderboard Golf and you don't have the dongle, and this became known, this little loophole or exploit became known because of the cassette version. So Leaderboard was released on, it's the trifecta. There's a floppy disk version, there's a cartridge version, and there was a version released on the data set. And so if you have the cassette version, in the instructions, it says, uh, leave the play button pressed down on the data set while playing. Uh, so because the dongle plugged in where the data set was going, now all you have to do is figure out what pins are being activated uh, when you press play on a data set. And so there are a couple uh, of combinations. It's either um, pins uh, one and six or five and six. Uh, now the original dongle, uh, if you really want to know, has a 2.2 ohm resistor between those two things, but you can just short them out. And so people have made aftermarket dongles. In fact, while I was looking for copies of this on eBay, I found people selling aftermarket dongles for this game for about $10. And that's all they do is uh, it's a little piece of plastic. You plug it into the data set port and it's shorting out pins, uh, either one and six or five and six. Um, if you had an original disc copy of this game and no dongle, you can bypass it by putting a data set, plugging in a data set and pressing play. <laughs> so um, this is kind of, uh, for me, a really interesting time in regards to copy protection because you have all these little wonky ideas, right? You have this thing, a dongle that comes with the game, but, uh, you know, it's it's just doing something physical. It's shorting out some pins, and then maybe you can short out the pins yourself, or maybe if you get this version, it doesn't have the copy protection, and this version does. So, I don't know, kind of an interesting little uh, historical point. This was one of the very, very few games for the Commodore 64 that I ever remember hearing had a dongle. Now, I remember later programs on the PC and especially like expensive utilities. I think maybe Cubase is one that comes to mind, uh, but, but definitely some more expensive utilities that would have a dongle that probably weren't quite as easily circumvented, at least not for people uh, like me, but the, the pros always seem to find a way to get around those things. But uh, yeah, leaderboard kind of uh, has that unique hat for me as, as far as a Commodore 64 goes, it's the first game I remember being sold over the shelf that came with a dongle that you had to plug in and get the game to load. Uh, so speaking of loading the game, uh, again, there are two copies on the floppy disk. There's the regular one, which I've never had any problem playing. And then there's the slower version that has all the uh, the, the disk fast loading uh, uh, routines removed from it. But again, I've never had any problem with the uh, loading the regular version. Uh, you load it up and then you get uh, a picture of a giant sign at a golf course that says leaderboard golf. Um, I believe at this point it is displayed as one word. And so again, we get that inconsistency of uh, leaderboard. Is it two words? Is it one word? Or is it leaderboard golf? Below that, we have text that says copyright 1986. 
access software by Bruce and Roger Carver. That is definitely one of the advantages of owning the company and developing the game is that you can put your name as many times as you want on every screen of the game. Um, it is a lovely picture. Uh, we have a, a lake. We have a uh, the flag that's in the uh, final hole of the golf course, and then there's a giant mountain, and there's a tree. So you kind of get this uh, lovely image of what you're going to be, what you're going to see whenever you play the game. Uh, now we get to the menu screen. Again, it says leaderboard, and uh, then again, you have uh, copyright from Access, and you have Bruce and Roger's names again. Again, one of the benefits of owning the company. Uh, there's a sign that asks for the number of players, and you can choose one to four players. Once you do that, you will enter a name uh, for each player. At this point, you use the function keys to select how many holes you would like to play. F1, uh, 3, 5, and 7 correspond to 18 holes, 36, 54, or 72 holes of golf. Uh, then you will pick which course you want to play. There are four courses here. There are also several commands you could use at this menu that are not listed on the screen. These are only mentioned in the manual itself. If you hit R, you can jump right to a driving range and you can practice uh, hitting distances and, and different clubs and practice the swing of the game. If you've never played the game, this is a good place to go practice hitting the ball straight. Um, if you press the forward slash, that will exit and take you out. If That's not a... Mm, uh, an obvious key that is not would not be my go to the forward slash to exit, which is um, uh, again one of those things. If you have the manual, you know what the key is. If you don't have the manual, you're going to press fifty or sixty keys to try to figure out which one will take you back uh, to the main menu. When you're playing the game, you can press that same forward slash, and that will cancel any game that's in progress and take you back to the beginning menu. Um, at the player select screen, you can press P and that will restart the game with the same players that you just previously had. So if you got a couple of buddies over, you play 18 rounds and then you want to do it again, you don't have to go through and select three players and put everyone's name back in. You can just hit P and the game will restart with the same information that it had on the previous game. Uh, there's also a, you can press D, which will take you to a demo of the game and you can watch how the game is played. Now the game will automatically play, uh, it'll go into a demo mode if you haven't pressed a key in a couple of minutes, but you could jump right to that demo mode by pressing the letter D for demo uh, and see a little bit of the game in action. But hey, you already bought the game, it's free, so <laughs> why not just jump in and play the game? Uh, once the game starts, you will see the view that you are expecting to see. Now, this was groundbreaking at the time, but to anyone that's seen a golf game in the past 40 years, you'll probably think, yes, this is what a golf game should look like. You will see your golfer, and he's hunched over the ball there, and he's got his golf club down towards the ground. You can select um, which, uh, which club, depending on the situation in the game. Uh, the first thing you will notice is that the course is drawn in three dimensions while you wait. Now, the Commodore 64 is an amazing computer, has a lot of, uh, for its time, a lot of graphic 
uh, power, graphical power. It has a lot of processing power, but man, one, one megahertz is one megahertz. <laughs> and you will literally watch the course be drawn in three dimensions while you sit there. You will see the ground be drawn. You will see the water. You will see these, the colors fill in as if you're watching a drawing program and someone has clicked fill <laughs> and see the green fill in the ground. Um, and so no matter where you are in the course, it has to three-dimensionally figure out where you are and then draw the course according to your coordinates. And it does that every single time. Uh, it doesn't take all that long, five seconds, 10 seconds. Um, to modern video game players, it's going to seem like a lifetime. It really is going to slow down the gameplay. Back then, we were so amazed at what this game was doing uh, that it wasn't really that big of a detriment. Um, there's a few kind of quirks. One of the things that I thought was odd is that the green, like the putting green and the rest of the grass on the course is all the same shade of green. Now in its defense, the Commodore 64 only had two shades of green. There's a light green and a dark green, but that's two shades of green. So why not take advantage of them? Why not make the course one of the shades and make the putty green the other shade? I don't know why they did that. And it's, um, it, it, when you get to the putting green, the only way that you realize that is that now you, your club has been switched to the putter. Uh, and so you realize you're on the green, but uh, it would have been, I think, much more visually appealing to use two different shades of green, and I, I don't really know uh, why they did that. Now, the game screen that you're looking at, um, if you were to divide the screen um, vertically into thirds, I would say the left two sections, so almost a square ratio, uh, is the golf course. So it's very large view. Uh, most of the screen, or at least two thirds of the screen is the golf course and you're a golfer. So it's not, you're not getting some little tiny view of a golf game. And also a lot of golf games before this were an overhead view. It didn't show the, the golfer. It didn't show any action. You would almost like a billiards game where you would just line up where you wanted the ball to go and press a button or whatever. So this is, you know, this three dimensional view is very impressive. Um, so again, two thirds of the screen are, are the golf course and your golfer and what's going on. And then the right hand side is where you're going to get all your information. That's going to show what hole you're on. That's going to show what par is for this particular course. It'll show you the course name. It'll show you the players and their score. Uh, if there's wind, which some of the levels, there are different difficulty levels in this game. Uh, and uh, if you're playing the harder ones and the wind can affect your shot, it'll show you uh, what club you have selected, how many yards away you are from the hole, and then uh, it will show you the power meter, um, which is what you have to use to hit the ball. So um, to play the game, the first thing you need to do is aim uh, left or right so you can control where you're going to hit the ball. And then uh, what you want to do is press and hold down the fire button. That is what begins your swing. And so you will see this little power meter go up. And the higher it goes, um, the, the more power you're putting into your swing. But if you hold on to it too long, it'll go right back down. So you have to release the button 
at the point in which where the power meter is how hard you want to hit the ball. So, you know, if you're you're teeing off, you want to let that button go right at the maximum amount of power, um, probably uh, based on the hole, um, and let it go right at that point. Now that you've released the button, uh, the meter will start going back down, and you will see a little line at the bottom. You want to hit the button again exactly when that meter um, lines up with that line. And that would be uh, the, the term it uses. I'm not a golfer, so a lot of these terms I just know from this game or from watching. But uh, it says that you want to get the snap in the center. So that's what you're hitting is the snap. So um, if you hit the button uh, too early or too late, then the ball will hook or slice, um, which essentially means it's going to go way to the left or way to the right. There are times in which you might want to do that intentionally. There are some courses where, you know, there may be a water hazard straight ahead. And so you might want to hit it as hard as you can and then hook the ball and get it to curve around uh, a hazard like that. But um, but it's pretty extreme if you let it go all the way uh, towards the hook or slice. It will <laughs> go off in a, a different direction on you. Um, but uh, that's... Um, for them, other than, than picking your clubs and, and things like that, that's pretty much the controls. Uh, the controls are going to uh, allow you to pick which uh, um, club that you're using, and you can look in the manual and see what the distance is for the clubs. You can look at the map, see how far away you are from the hole. On the right-hand side of the game, it tells you how far you are away, you know, how many yards you are from the hole. And so you can do these things, figure out which club to pick and, and what speed to use and, and do a little bit of math in your head and, um, and hopefully uh, uh, make the right choices. Now, once you get within 64 feet of the hole, it automatically switches to the putting. So the putting green is a virtual circle that is 64 feet <laughs> all the way around the hole. Um, this is occasionally to your detriment because if you just get on the very edge of the green, like let's say you're, you know, you're right at 64 feet, the game switches you to a putter and you have to use a putter, but a putter cannot hit the ball 64 feet away. So you will have to take two shots to get to the hole. So that part of it is a little bit weird. And again, uh, if the green were a slightly different color, it would be a little bit easier to figure out what was going on uh, at that point. Putting is a little bit simpler. Uh, there is no hook or slice involved in putting. All you have to do is line up your putt and then use the appropriate amount of power. Of course, like any golf game, if you hit it too hard, the ball will may go in the hole and then bounce out or roll to the side or roll around the rim of the hole. Um, and if you don't hit it hard enough, obviously you won't get all the way there. So um, one thing you'll have to deal with on the putting green is slope. That's more information you'll be given on the right-hand side of the screen. There can be hills. It could be it could slope down or up. And so you have to take that into consideration when uh, determining just how hard to hit the ball. Um, when playing this game, even today, I was surprised at how smooth the animation of the golfer is. Uh, the animation is really good, um, which is not surprising from Access, the people that brought us 
uh, Beachhead and, and several other games were that had you know good animation. Uh, so that part of it is, uh, it, but it kind of it almost makes the game like if it were a, a just a dopey looking guy <laughs> and bad animation, it wouldn't be. Um, it wouldn't, I don't think you could put that simulator title on it because it looks like a real guy, um, hitting the ball. Um, sound in this game is interesting because there's no music, which is exactly what I would expect from a simulator. And instead what we get are very realistic golfing sounds. Uh, we get the sound of the, of the club swooshing of the ball being hit of the, you know, the golf related sounds. And so that's, that's uh, the sound that you're going to hear during this game. You're not going to hear little tunes uh, playing as you're, you're lining up shots. Um, like uh, normal, I would say traditional professional golf courses, you're going to encounter a lot of obstacles here. There's water, there's mud. Uh, you can hit the ball out of bounds um, whenever you do any of those things, you will get a one shot penalty and the ball will be relocated for you. Uh, it also uses, now I said this before, uh, I'm, I, I don't golf. I'm not a traditional golfer. I like putt putt. <laughs> I like mini golf. Uh, but I, I don't, I've never been uh, actual golfing. So the way that it determines who is going to go next is a little bit interesting and is exactly how it works in real golf. But uh, if you've never played real golf like me, it's a little bit different. Um, but the way that it works is um, at the beginning, uh, if you have players one, two, three, four, everybody hits the ball. Uh, but then on the next round, uh, I believe whoever is furthest from the hole goes next, and it continues to work that way. So um, if players one, two, three are really close, and player four is far away and he hits the ball and it's still not closer, he will go again. So it, it at that point, whoever is the furthest uh, is who will take a shot. I get that this is a golf simulator and that's probably how real golf works and that's great. But if you are playing this game with, let's say, four friends, it would be much easier uh, because you're all using the same joystick. You're going to be passing the joystick in port two between players. So it would be a lot easier if player one always gave the joystick to player two, who always gave it to player three, who always gave it to player four, and so on and so forth. Uh, and in the way that this is set up, you're constantly going to be figuring out, you have to wait and see who's uh, furthest from the hole and then give the joystick to that person. Um the uh, other thing about that is whoever has the lowest score uh, is who gets the tee off first in the next round. So player one does not always tee off. So it's a little bit uh, different, a little bit to get used to. But again, if uh, if you're a golfer, you're probably aware of all these rules. If you're not a golfer and this is your first round, then it may seem uh, a little bit strange. The manual includes some gameplay strategies, which I will share with you here. The first one says, be sure to check your club. Check sure to make the golf club you want to use is displayed when you are making your direction adjustments. Um, sometimes you may change your golf club accidentally. So that is definitely a good tip. You don't want to line up a shot and then find out you're using the wrong club and have it go much further or not as far as you were hoping for. Uh, number two says, always go to the driving range before starting. This allows you to get the correct timing 
on your swing. I don't know that you have to do that every time that you play the game, but before you set out the first time, it's not a bad idea. Uh, number three, uh, it says, remember that the wind can make a substantial difference in your shot, especially short irons and the pitching wedge. Um, you have to, uh, take into consideration the wind. Again, there is a wind flag meter on the side, the information side of the screen. So always check that before, um, uh, firing off a, a shot. Um, it says, uh, again, this is something I mentioned. Number four, it says, try to avoid hitting the ball onto the edge of the green far away uh, because the greens are large with downhill and uphill breaks. So if you are too far from the hole, you may require two putts to get to the hole. And remember, you must always use the putter when you're on the green. So we already covered that. Uh, number five, it says be extra careful in judging distance over water. If your ball falls short and lands in the water, it'll cost you a distance penalty. I don't know if that's really a game hand. That's kind of seems to be a common knowledge. Don't hit the ball in the water. Um, then number six, it says learn to use the hook and slice. They can be used to your advantage when the wind uh, is in play or making other difficult shots. So um, I did kind of mention being able to hit the ball like around an obstacle, around a tree or something like that. But uh, compensating for the wind is another time where you might want to hook or slice just a little bit. But you got to be pretty good, pretty accurate at hitting that button uh, to do that intentionally. Uh, scoring is a little bit... Um, unique, not again, not to golf, but to people who haven't played golf. I was expecting a running total, but instead what you get is your number, uh, that you are above or below par. So if you're shooting par on every hole, your score is going to show zero. If you're five over par, your score will be five and so on and so forth. So, and you will see that score listed on the right hand side for all the players that are in the game. Unfortunately, uh, in leaderboard golf, there is no snacks. There is no place to stop and get food. So uh, I guess if you're going to eat snacks, you better do it before you go golfing. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. It is early in the morning here at the old Sprite Castle, and we've gathered some friends to go out on a golfing adventure, I've rented a giant golf cart that seats four, and we're going to go hit the green. But before we go golfing, we're going to have some breakfast. And this morning, I have ordered some breakfast burritos from the family-owned Oklahoma City restaurant, Exceptional Cafe, which is a very real breakfast restaurant that I visit Exceptional Cafe, which is a very real breakfast restaurant that uh, my wife and I frequently go to. They have uh, lots of good foods. It is a uh, Hispanic-style breakfast restaurant, so they have lots of breakfast tacos and, and all sorts of things like that. But they make what is called a wet burrito. It has three scrambled eggs. It's got bacon. It has some chorizo in there. It's so good. They put slices of avocado on there. And uh, this family that owns the restaurant, they make their own salsa, which is the reason that I have bought these breakfast burritos this morning. The burritos are an eight 
the salsa is a 10. So uh, before we go out here, we've got um, uh, our little TV trays set up so we can eat before we head out. Well, we've got Mr. David Z, Mr. Patrick Markey, and Scrap Arcade hanging out with us here before we tee off. So I'm handed out burritos while everybody uh, eats before we head off. I could talk a little bit about some of the Commodore 64 games I have been playing over the last couple of weeks. Actually, before I talk about the games, I want to mention the I Adore My 64. This was the film uh, that was doing fundraising to try to get completed. Unfortunately, it did not meet its fundraising goals, so I don't know what is next. Um, You know, there's so many of these projects that... People have good ideas. People have great ideas, but people also have day jobs. Um, You know, I was fortunate when I wrote Commodore and Invading Spaces and some of the other things that I worked on that were things that I could do from home after hours. So I did my day job during the day and then at night I worked on these projects. But if you're doing a documentary film that involves a lot of travel, that's money, you know, going to another city, that means taking off from work, you know, so those are um, part of the reasons why a lot of these things have uh, fundraising goals. So I don't know what's next for the film. Uh, maybe this means it'll take longer to complete. I hope that it doesn't get abandoned because, uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing the film. Uh, you know, any any documentary about the Commodore 64 is a friend of mine. So um, hopefully uh, that this is not the end of that story and that this is just a speed bump along the way towards its completion. So uh, some of the games that I have checked out over the past month or a couple of weeks, uh, Rocky and Company, um, I have not played. I've only watched video of this online. This is a new platform. I would say platform slash puzzler type game. Uh, it looks really good. I think that it has gone on sale or it's, it's, uh, now available for sale. So I'm going to be ordering that probably in the next day or two, but, uh, Rocky and co that looks really good. Um, uh, there is a game called hell beneath, which was, um, uh, just came out and it looks it's kind of like a sort of Fargo. It looks like a roguelike type game. Um, it's definitely one of those games that has limited viewing range due to your torch. And those games are always interesting because you can't see an entire dungeon at a time. You can only see within a certain radius around where you are. So that adds a little bit of difficulty to the game. But that's a fun one. A free download you can pick up. Uh, another free download that I grabbed was the C64 Light Cycles. Now... They've been making light cycle games for as long as Tron has been out. Um, We had a light cycle game essentially on the Atari 2600 called Surround, which was the exact same uh, structure as all of these games. C64 light cycles adds little tiny sprites of the cycles at the front. So that's kind of fun. And it uh, plays the Tron theme when the game kicks off. So it's a fun version and, uh, you know, I love Tron stuff and, and, uh, light cycle games are always easy to play and super fun when you have two players. Uh, so that's, uh, worth checking out. I also saw meteor shower, which, um, almost plays like the old game kick, um, where you had to hit the balloons or bounce, you know, some balloons would bounce back. It kind of plays like that where you have to protect, 
your ship and repel meteors that are coming towards your ship. Um, it's almost like stampede, I guess, is a, is a good way to explain that. So, um, yeah, that's a, another one. Meteor Shower, which is a, a free download. And um, not really game-related, but one of the things I have been doing over the past couple of weeks is exploring the Commodore 128 core, which has been released on the Mister. A lot of you guys have Misters. I have one. I use it for a lot of my gaming solutions these days. And there is a Commodore 128 core. So uh, for gaming stuff, not as um, useful. There's not a ton of Commodore 128-specific uh, games. There's a handful. Um, but, of course, for... Uh, if you're playing with basic, there's a lot more basic, uh, tools. If you're using utilities, it has that handy 80 column mode also for text adventures and things like that. Um, and for calling BBSs, there's 80 column term programs. So lots of fun to be had there on the Commodore 128. So I've been messing around with the cores. Um, also, oh, wait, wait, uh, okay. They're leaving me on the golf cart. Wait, wait, wait okay. Cart. Okay. I gotta go. Uh, let's get back to the episode, and I'm going to go trace down these guys who just stole my golf cart. Real quick, if you would like a seat at the Sprite Castle Dining Hall or would like to help pick which games I'll be reviewing, go visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Uh, so while I'm chasing down this, let's get back to reviewing Leaderboard Golf. At the time of its release, Leaderboard Golf was one of the best-looking and best-playing golf games available on the Commodore 64, and the reviews reflected that. Zap gave this game a 97%. ASM Magazine gave it 87%. Lemon64 right now has a score of 8.6. Commodore User gave it 85%. Joker Magazine, 82%. Your Commodore, 80%. Uh, 80% always sounds low until you remember it's a 4 out of 5, which is how they scored some of those. Um, 64 also gave it a 4 out of 5, 80%. Uh, Computer Gamer gave it 75%. And Eurogamer gave it 70%, which is 7 out of 10. Now, the Commodore 64 version of Leaderboard Golf was the best-selling Commodore 64 game of 1986 in the UK. Uh, there were other releases for the Commodore 64 after Leaderboard. That includes the Leaderboard Executive Edition, World Class Leaderboard Golf, which is one that a lot of people are familiar with. And then you have World Class Leaderboard uh, famous Courses of the World, Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. Now, all of these were released in a pretty short period of time. Leaderboard Golf came out in 86. Uh, about half those games came out in 86. The rest all came out in 87, except for that final uh, uh, add-on, which was the Famous Courses, Volume 3, which was 1988. So, but basically you have a pretty short span, 86, 87, 88, when we got all these different um, leaderboard related releases. Now, again, some of those were separate games and then those famous courses were add-ons where you had to already have a game and you were purchasing additional courses to play with the original game. Now, leaderboard was so popular <laughs> that it outgrew or outlasted perhaps the Commodore 64 and it evolved into another golf game that you may have heard of 
called Lynx. Lynx was also made by Access Software. Um, the first version was uh, just Lynx. Then there was Lynx 386. There's one called Lynx, the Challenge of Golf. Uh, Computer Gaming World, by the way, rated um, Lynx, the Challenge of Golf as uh, 1991's Action Game of the Year. If you had a PC in the early 90s, you knew someone who played Lynx, or your dad played Lynx. <laughs> there was Lynx 386, there was Lynx LS. Um, there were about two dozen different course discs that got re released for Lynx. So uh, any course from Pebble Beach to all these other famous courses, you could purchase and then play those um, with Lynx. Um, there was a uh, Lynx 2004, I think was maybe the last official release of Lynx. And during those early, uh, like the Windows 3.x time, uh, the biggest competitor of Lynx was another golf game called Microsoft Golf. But Microsoft Golf was just a repackaged version of the earlier Lynx games. So literally, the two biggest golf games at that time were Lynx and Microsoft Golf, which was also Lynx. <laughs> uh, so Lynx went on to be a huge golf game on other systems. The first Lynx, I think, was available for DOS, uh, the Atari ST, I think maybe the Sega CD. Um, but there are versions of uh, Lynx for almost every 8-bit uh, and definitely 6-bit system. There are lots of, lots of uh, uh, Lynx games out there. The developers of Lynx, eventually, uh, after they stopped making Lynx Golf, uh, went on and formed True Golf, which is the golf simulator. You may have seen that in pubs or, or other places where you can hit a, uh, a virtual golf ball against a screen or, or however that works. But uh, True Golf is made by the developers of Lynx. And in 2021, True Golf reacquired the rights to release Lynx games. So they are uh, either have or are about to release more Lynx games. So this is definitely the golf dynasty of the video game world. If you want to own a copy of the original leaderboard for the Commodore 64, it shouldn't cost you too much. I saw versions of the game for sale on eBay for $20 to $30. Those are complete versions, depending on whether you want the cartridge, the disc, or the cassette version of the game. And also, on eBay, I found people selling uh, reproduction dongles for about $10. So if you have an old copy of this game and are unable to play it and uh, are, are a stickler for morals and don't want to try one of the other versions or, or a version where the copy protection has been removed. You can play your original version and buy, uh, that's strange. I never thought about this. It's one of the few games where you can play it. You can play an original disc, but use a pirated dongle. <laughs> so speaking of all these old copies of links, let's get into my personal memories of leaderboard golf. Memories. 
access software, which I talked about again on that Beachhead 2 episode just a few episodes prior, is an interesting company. It's a pretty small company. Uh, they are definitely one of those companies that didn't put out a lot of games, but all the games they put out were quality programs. Not only do you have uh, Beachhead and Beachhead 2, you had All These Follies, you had The Sentinel, you have Raid Over Moscow, which is a classic, uh, and then that gets you basically to Leaderboard Golf. Um, they also released um, uh, a bowling game called 10th Frame Bowling. Now, I think I remember 10th Frame Bowling before... Uh, I ever got leaderboard, but they're so close in release date that it could have gone either way. But 10th Frame Bowling is similar in style to this game. It's not a arcade, fun, music blaring, uh, you know, fun bowling game. It is a bowling simulator. It's very serious. And it has a very good animation of the player. And so when I think about leaderboard golf, that is kind of what I think about is um, that the detail in these games is put in the engine, first and foremost, and the graphics. The graphics on leaderboard are, um, you know... I mean, there's only so much you can do with a green and a mountain and a background and a flag, you know, and, and a, a lake that you don't want to hit a ball into. So there's not that much you can do with that. But the animation of the guy, the, the parts where you could put detail in, that's where the detail is. The animation of the golfer, the, um, the you know, the layout of the game itself and of the, uh, the interface, all of that is top notch. And so that's... When I think about this game, and I definitely played this game when I was a kid, um, but it wasn't something that you would play, uh, you know, to sit down like, it's not a Space Invaders. It's not a Pac-Man. It's not an arcade pick em up and, and play game. This is a game that you're going to play, you know, for 30 minutes solid to go through one 18-hole course, may, maybe longer, maybe 45 minutes, two or three minutes per hole. Uh, so, you know, that's my memory of it. Of course, I have more memories of the Lynx games uh, by the time you got to the PC. And there's a funny story. I remember my dad told me that he had a copy of Lynx and, uh, one of his friends at work also had a copy of Lynx and they both had PCs and my dad's scores were amazing. He was always many points under par and the other guy, uh, was not good. His scores were always way over par. And so one time my dad said he went to the guy's house and the guy fired up links. And that guy had at the time, like a 286, maybe running at 12 megahertz or something like that. And we were still using a PC junior, which was much slower, which meant that the power meter went way slower and you could hit it much more accurately. Whereas at my dad's coworker's house, the, the power meter went much more quickly and it was difficult to do an accurate shot. And my dad said he never told him. <laughs> he was like, well, I guess I'm just better at this game than you are. Uh, but that's one advantage that the Commodore 64 had over DOS versions was that everybody's Commodore 64 um, essentially was running at the same speed. So uh, you could compare scores with your friends and know that everybody was playing on the same hardware. But yeah, that's what I remember about this. It wasn't necessarily something that kids 
picked up and played, um, you know, for an arcade fun, a quick game pickup, you know, good time thing like that. But if you're really into golf and you wanted to play the best golf game on the system, this was it. For graphics, I give Leaderboard Golf four out of five birdies. The courses are 3D. They're drawn perfectly. The animation of the golf, the swing, everything is top-notch. Uh, for music, unfortunately, Leaderboard Golf gets zero out of five birdies. There is no music within the game. Uh, sound effects, though, I will give it five out of five birdies. Uh, the uh, sound effects are um, a little bit subdued, but they are perfect. They add to the atmosphere of the game, and they really, um, you know, set the mood of this golfing simulator. Overall, I will give Leaderboard Golf four out of five birdies. Uh, it is one of the best sports simulators and arguably the best golf game available for the Commodore 64. It holds up today. It is as good of a golf game today as it was 35 years ago. for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RobCast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Leaderboard Golf was selected as this episode's game by Patreon supporters like Paul Morano, Steve Sharippa, and Zeke Pabsky. If you would like to help pick games to be featured on future episodes of Sprite Castle, read behind-the-scenes blog posts, watch weekly videos, get access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and receive other additional perks, support tiers start at just $2 a month. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle is available on all major podcast providers, including the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. More details about all my shows are available at podcast.robohara.com. News and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back and tap it in. Just tap it in. And we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.